I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And we know the Arizona football spring game happened last weekend. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in this show with Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. But still, instead of that, Brett, let's go with some Arizona men's basketball. Tommy Lloyd was hired a couple of weeks ago, and he's been busy. And what was it? Last week we were talking about how he retained Jason Terry and Jack Murphy to be assistant coaches, and that was pretty good. Got Dylan Anderson doing all that. Since then, K.J. Simpson decommitted and decided to go to Colorado. Um, and Arizona has filled up their coaching staff quite a bit. This time, <laughs> there are a lot of people who were concerned that he was keeping all these U of A guys. It's like, those aren't Tommy Lloyd's guys. Well, now he's bringing in some of his own. Uh, T.J. Benson, Ken Nakagawa, and Rem Bakamis. Names that are going to be really tough at times. So hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about them for my sake. <laughs> <laughs> they're not assistant coaches. They're not going to be on the bench, but he's starting to get guys that he has familiarity with from stops at Gonzaga and things like that, where he's starting to build his staff. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, there's a, another big piece of news. James Akinjo uh, officially is no longer coming back and is going to Baylor, right? Yeah, that, that happened too. I think <laughs> he went to the draft and we were, <laughs> when we first went to the draft, I remember we talked, we're like, well, you know, he has the grade he doesn't like, then he'll come back all good. But once Miller was gone, that, I think that ship sailed, and good luck to him at Baylor. I mean, you don't go to the national champs if you're not any good. So I think yeah. that speaks very highly of James Akinjo's skills. My favorite thing of I, – I love James Akinjo. I thought he was fantastic and perfect in Sean Miller's system. Um, but my favorite thing of him going to Baylor, the defending national champions, is for all the people on the Twitter.com machine and on the message boards that were saying James Akinjo wasn't, quote, Arizona good. <laughs> <laughs> it's all – you know – Everybody has an opinion. I get it. But, like, you don't go there for uh, – I, I think he was actually woefully underappreciated this year. Uh, and I think also – and I also think Tibet Gorner uh, uh, entering the transfer, transfer portal. Transfer portal. There's a lot of things yeah. that happened in the last week, yes. I was trying to focus on the good things. You wanted to bring the bad things. So what else <laughs> you got, Barry? It's This is like the inverse bookend to the end of last week's show when you kept coming <laughs> with the negativity. No, I mean uh, – it's, you know, so like we talked about last week, so far so good for uh, Tommy Lloyd. There, he's filling out his staff. You know, Jason Terry sticking around, um, I think, is a big deal uh, for, you know, kind of the parallel of the Jed Fish. You know, having Chuck Cecil 
uh, and Hunley on staff to kind of placate the the alumni crowd, which I know neither of you or I are the you need to have alumni on your staff people right. um, or be the head coach people. Uh, in fact, I would argue that hiring the alumni legend makes it harder to fire that person if it doesn't work out. Um, but, you know, he's filling out his staff. He's got he's bringing guys over from Gonzaga. There's maybe, you know, with some of the decommits and some of the roster spots opening up, uh, there's it's opening up some space and solving the scholarship crunch, at least uh, until the IARP potentially limits that. Uh, but, you know, there's there's also rumors of positivity things there. You know, Ty Ty Washington was at the spring, the spring football game. Definitely not on an official visit because that would be a problem. Um, but he, you know, found his way to Tucson. He's an Arizona kid originally. So uh, he deci- decided to take in the game. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's a pretty fast rising. I think he was a former Creighton commit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Top, you know, 30 to 50 ish player and been and been rising in the rankings. Um, that would, by all accounts, would fit very well in the Tommy Lloyd, uh, uh, you know, offense. Like a one-and-done type talent who plays a position of need and appears to be the kind of guy who could step right in day one and lead the team. Yeah, and even with Kirk Carissa coming back, you know, thank thank goodness for my for my my personal happiness. Um, you know, Kirk Carissa is a guy that I think can can slide over and play he can play point guard or you know he's a pretty good outside shooter where i think he and ty ty washington can exist in the same backcourt together uh so and showing what um you know tommy lloyd has been able to do so far you know god it feels like it's been months since he was hired and i guess it's been not even two weeks <laughs> yeah um you know he's already show, shown that he's bring he's able to pull guys back out of the transfer portal Ben Matherin said he's coming back. Dale Which Terry's coming back. Ben Matherin back. had never left. <laughs> we talked about well, like until yeah. a guy enters the transfer portal, and then there was always a chance, right? When there was a coaching change, that was the fear. Was like, well, what happened to this roster that we all thought was top fifteen, top twenty? What are they going to do? And if the only ones you lose are Tibet Corner, who has now been freed from his scholarship with Arizona, and eh, they freed Tibet, eh? Eh? Sorry. I, I can't I can't tweet that anymore, and I missed yeah. the opportunity when he had announced he entered the portal. Yeah, I'm, I'm the first now. one to make that joke, I'm sure, as well. So good on me. <laughs> but, You're not the first one on this show. <laughs> yeah, no, but but Ben decides to stick around. Dale and Terry sticking around, and when you look at it, the only ones who left, like the only key player who is not coming back or starter, is James Akinjo. Whereas last season they were replacing the entire starting lineup. This season they're bringing back all but one, and the one they're losing and the one they lost, you can understand that. Like It, it hurts because James Akinjo is a really good basketball player, but it feels like it's a type of move that both sides are like, okay, this is for the best. Arizona thinks it can replace him, and Akinjo thinks he'll be better somewhere else. Cool. You know, go for it. But Tommy Lloyd has brought back the bulk of the team, the guys that we were all so excited that watch this team grow. Watch these guys as sophomores. You know, what's Ben going to be like as a sophomore? What's Dale and Terry going to be like as a sophomore, as a junior? What's Tubelis going to be like as a sophomore? And we're going to get to see that in Arizona, at Arizona in an offense that you talk to a lot of people, they think it might fit these guys better. You know, some of them, like if it's as good as the type of offense that we think it's going to be, and maybe it won't be that in year one, but this Gonzaga offense would seem to fit guys with those skill sets very, very well. And maybe not someone like a James Akinjo, who's more of a ball stopper, and he had to be that guy last season. This isn't me trying to knock him at all. But you can make the case that, yeah, these guys who are sticking around are going to fit beautifully in the offensive time he wants to run and allows him to, if they can pick up the system quickly enough, 
then they could be really good right out of the gate because he's not trying to build. Like when Sean Miller took over, he had to replace basically – he had Nick Wise, I think. And then he had the recruiting class, basically USC's recruiting class, that I was able to bring in. And it wasn't a great roster. Tommy Lloyd's inheriting a pretty damn good team, you know, and it didn't have to be that way. There was a possibility, and, you know, depending on how the coaching search went, depending on if they had fired Miller even two days after the season ended, the Arizona season ended, and waited four weeks to hire a replacement, who knows if these guys just say, yeah, I'm not, I don't need to do this. I'm going to go somewhere else. And you could argue that it was kind of messed up of Arizona to do that if that was their thought. But at the same time, if you knew Tommy Lloyd was your guy, and you knew you had to wait for him, this gave him the best chance to keep this team together, which gives him the best chance for success in year one. And if he can do that, and he's recruiting at a high level, and we're he got one commitment right now for 2022, but if he can win in year one while recruiting high-end talent, then this thing's going to keep on rolling. Now, the IRP did announce, or NCAA announced this week, that the IRP will be decided in 12 months. Within the next year, they're going to come up with a decision, and that we'll have to see what that is. Like, we don't know yet. Is it going to be a loss of scholarships? Is it going to be just who knows? But when they do come to a decision, assuming Arizona is allowed to be in the postseason, they're going to have the type of roster that seems like it can make it to the postseason with regularity. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right, Adam. And, you know, my my worst case scenario fears from the day we fired Sean Miller to hired Tom Tommy Lloyd uh, with each passing week. But those my my worst case scenario fears are getting alleviated. And now I'm I'm actually approaching not quite unbridled optimism for the future, <laughs> uh, but I feel pretty. Pretty good about it, um, especially if you're if you're able to fill like James Akinjo's spot with Ty Ty Washington, you know, boy, that's an interesting roster that actually fits what Tommy Lloyd wants to do. I don't know if you or our listeners got to see the that that early video of Tommy Lloyd coaching the team, and there was a video clip of him saying, you know, something along the lines of make make the quick easy decisions and we'll get good shots. Mm-hmm. To me, like that. If I could think of two players that fit that mold, it's Kirk Harissa and Azulis Tubelis, right? <laughs> um, Kirk Harissa, I feel like, is going to thrive in that kind of you know, just quick decisions, take what the defense gives you, take you know, take good shots, make make the quick pass, make the quick decision. Because that seems like the kind of player he is, as opposed to James Akinjo was more the probe. Uh, you know, James Akinjo, I, I I really think was so good at what he did and was perfect for Sean Miller, where he Sean Miller trusted him to kind of probe and really be a ball centric point guard that mm-hmm. facilitated his own shot or for others. That's not really what Tommy Lloyd wants to do, but I think the roster, especially if you can fill it out with these last couple spots, boy, it looks kind of it looks pretty darn intriguing. Of course, the the downside to that if you're Tommy Lloyd is. You're, the the greatest period is going to not be very uh, long and or forgiving. Uh, you know, it's not going to be very forgiving. Yeah. No, you like I think I said with uh, Justin Spears on uh, last week. It's like you know sixth place in the Pac-12 with this roster. It's assuming Ty Ty Washington commits. You know that ain't going to cut it. <laughs> and even people are putting a lot of these eggs in the Ty Ty Washington basket. And maybe by the time you listen to this, I think he said he was going to commit sometime in late April, early May. So who knows? It can be any time. But you know, say they don't get him. There's some pretty intriguing talent in the transfer portal. <laughs> like, like it's not just Ty, it's not Ty Ty Washington or bust. And the nice thing is for this team with what Tommy Lloyd is going to have in year one with all the guys who are coming back. Like yes, they need more guards, right? Like they have Kirk Carissa right now. Maybe Dale and Terry can handle the ball, but he's not a guard. You don't want him being a key ball handler. So they need help in the backcourt, but it's out there. 
there's way too many people in the portal and not enough roster spots. And if they miss out on Ty Ty Washington, which right now the signs are pointing to them not missing out on him, that he's really interested in Arizona. I mean, he went to the spring game. He's from Arizona. They have a starting spot available on a good roster. Like, that's not a bad sales pitch. But if they don't get him, they're going to find talent. I forget there's a player who was a Gonzaga guard, point guard, who just entered the transfer portal to a veteran. You know, who was there for a year. I forget his name. But that's the guy who's easily linked to Arizona if it comes to it. You know? And I'm not saying that's the guy they're going to go get. Tommy Lee would have some familiarity with him. But my point is, there's talent out there. And if Arizona misses on Ty Ty Washington, they're going to go get someone else who might be a grad transfer, might be a veteran type of guard, may not be as flashy, may not be an NBA lottery pick type of talent guard. But he's going to be pretty damn good. And that's what happens where they're not having to replace this entire roster, not losing so many key guys to the portal to other teams, other programs. You know, Shane Dizoni decommitted. We didn't mention that. You know, he was going to come in. But by not losing the bulk of the roster that we were all excited about, Lloyd is very much set up for success in year one. Yeah, I was trying to track down the uh, the Gonzaga guard. I don't think he's a guy that you necessarily expect to be the star guy, but he could be a really good depth guy that you need at the guard spot right now with KJ Simpson and Dazoni decommitting. Um, but also, Aaron he's, Cook I think. Was a name, Aaron yeah, Cook. Aaron, that's right. And I think he's a grad transfer where, you know, even if you're playing three dimensional chess with the scholarship game, you know, if, if your fear is that the IRP results may limit us uh, as a program and scholarships for a year or two, maybe a grad transfer is more ideal than a traditional transfer or a person that's not a one and done, right? You're not going to overcommit to to uh, to scholarships um and, and in terms of adding depth that could be a really good value add and i think but i think your your point is spot on i think we talked about it a couple weeks ago that it's it's not the same as in football with the transfer portal where there's a lot of people there but there's so there's there's the the class restrictions for each year's class well, that also, really limits. arizona basketball is a lot more attractive than arizona football for transfers i mean I I suppose <laughs> bold statement, but plenty I think plenty of matters. good playing time, plenty of good playing time available in Arizona football. <laughs> well, for a guard, it would be there for basketball too. Only you get a chance to play, and it's not Sean Miller's Arizona basketball, but it's Arizona basketball. And we've talked about how big is the brand, and Tommy Lloyd's success on the recruiting trail and all that will kind of tell us how big the brand is. But assuming it's it's what we think it is. He should have no trouble finding players who are like, yeah, I'll go play for Arizona. I'll go play with yeah. that loaded roster. If I'm a point guard and I have Ben Matherin and Tubelis and Kirk Carissa, like, I have this talent around me, and I have a chance to play in a Gonzaga-style offense with Arizona across my chest, It's it, that seems enticing. Hey, Tommy Lloyd should, you know, you joke about for football, Tommy Lloyd should saunter over to the practice facility uh, I'm pretty sure Jackson Turner was a fairly credible point guard recruit or, you know, probably starting safety. Um, and also Jason Harris was a highly acclaimed uh, football recruit. Well, I know he's been um, hanging out with the football team a little bit. You know, they had a lot of videos of him out there talking to the team and he was at the spring game, which we're going to be talking about in a moment with Michael Lev. So, you know, there's always a possibility, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think Jason Harris is, a legit six eight and was like a true four star basketball recruit. So if it gets to it, if they if they have trouble <laughs> filling out the roster with guys who are focused on basketball first, there is some talent and maybe Jed Fish will loan them to to Tommy Lloyd. But Brett, let's take a quick break here and we come back. Michael Left from the Arizona Daily Star is going to talk to us and we're going to ask him about the spring game. We're asking about Arizona baseball. Both seem pretty good right now. So let's talk to him after this break. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. We are happy to be joined by Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. Michael, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. What's up, guys? Well, you know how it is. Arizona spring game. We'll start there. We kind of teased it in the first segment. It happened. I guess technically football was played, but I don't think football was front and center as far as what the day was about. But just your impressions from what happened Saturday, football or even just like pomp and circumstance around the game. Yeah, I think it was the least football-y uh, day that we had during spring. You know, the the previous 14 practices were very much all about football and learning these new systems, figuring out personnel, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Saturday, uh, the spring game was more like a celebration of Arizona football past and what conceivably could be Arizona football future. Um, you know, there was drunk, brewski, water balloons, spraying down the fans, you know, uh, alumni, uh, ringing the end, you know, ringing the end zone. Um, you know, it was sort of a made for TV event that also happened to feature some football being played. Um, a lot of trick plays, kind of a vanilla version of the playbook. And uh, frankly, I'm fine with all of it. I think there's a great value in just creating publicity around the program. You know, I mean, you guys have a podcast that is strictly geared toward talking about Arizona sports, including Arizona football. But like, how many people besides you, besides us at the at the Daily Star, or outside of the, our little corner of the world, have been talking about Arizona football in any sort of positive way since I don't know 2017? I mean, not even us have been talking positive about Arizona football in a positive way since about 2017. So. Right, right. Or even just talking about talking about Arizona football at all. You know, it's like the worst. I think the worst thing you can possibly be is irrelevant. And Jed Fish's moves so far, uh, hiring a kind of a star-studded staff, um, transfer portal, getting guys from Arizona. Um, and then kind of becoming like a Twitter star, uh, creating some viral videos, I think that makes Arizona much less irrelevant, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, the listeners of this pod know, and Adam for sure knows, how much I hate the narrative game because it means absolutely nothing on the field. But, you know, even my cold, cynical heart that hates the narrative game, you know, you... Have you ever seen so much, for lack of a better term, optimism and excitement about a team that hasn't won a game in 12 games? Yeah, it's great. I, I think that um, the, the biggest thing he has done is change the narrative. Like, what were we talking about in December? Like, how, how much worse can things get? This is, the, this is the nadir, right? Like, this is the low point maybe in the history 
uh, of the Arizona football program. Um, you can you can make that case when you lose seventy to seven to your arch rival on national TV, and it's the twelfth of twelve consecutive losses. Um, since then, it's like bringing alumni back. It's like installing these exciting new systems on offense and defense. It's restructuring the football organization. You know, it's like let's have fun again. Um, which is kind of what, you know, college sports are supposed to be about. So kudos to Jed. He's still in the honeymoon phase here, big time. Um, You know, that can easily come to an end if they get blown out in the first game of the season. I feel like that's when Kevin Sumlin's honeymoon phase ended against BYU, that first game, when it didn't look like what we all hoped it would look like. Um, And they lost a game in which they were heavily favored. Think about that. Um, they were, I think they were, I want to say they were like 11 point favorites or something in that game. It was, it was a big spread. Uh, yeah. it was, uh, I mean, it was a different time, uh, to be sure. Um, and I'm sure that will not be the case uh, in this upcoming game. There'll probably be 11 point underdogs or something to that effect. Um, so, you know, there needs, there need to be results on the field at some point in time, but I think this is attracting a lot of attention. He's getting the attention of recruits. And the best way to turn this thing around is to bring in more talent. And if you can, you know, get some recruits to buy into what you're doing, that's that's a really good first step. Yeah, we talked. You know, we talked about how the spring game was maybe not the most competitive uh, football environment, but you know, from the casual fan or people that aren't part of the media, it was the closest thing resembling real football activities for Arizona football since before. Or the territorial cup <laughs> game. Um, is there anything we can take out of what we what we saw as fans uh, on the field in terms of in terms of the spring game? Well, I thought the most significant play of the whole spring game was Gunnar Cruz completing a like sixty two yard pass down the sideline to Jamari Joyner. That was a play that Gunnar consistently missed on during spring ball. He's, constantly overthrowing deep passes. I mean, I suppose you could make a case that it's better to overthrow them than underthrow them because it at least indicates that you have the requisite arm strength to make those throws, but they were all off. And then you kind of wondered, like, does this guy have like a, a deep ball accuracy problem? Just because he completed one in the spring game doesn't mean that the problem is solved. Um, but, you know, I think it's a, maybe a sign of better things ahead. He did not have any opportunity, like zero opportunity before the start of spring ball to work with any of Arizona's receivers. So, you know, you need to learn the timing and develop the chemistry with each one of those guys. Everyone's a little different. They're all, they all have different gears. Um, and those, those things take time. He didn't have that time. So he's going to have it now in May and uh, June and July. Uh, to get that work in. So uh, to me, that was the the most meaningful thing uh, that happened uh, on the football field. I'll cite something else too. Um, It was again, it was a good uh, practice for Malik Hausman. Uh, He was very involved, broke up a handful of passes. Um, They need somebody to emerge as that third cornerback. Um, They were using Malik during spring primarily as a nickel. So he'd be on the field at the same time as Christian Roland Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford. Um, I think they would prefer to leave him in that role. But as of right now, 
one of those two guys were going to, were to go down, I mean, he's the next guy up. Maybe Trey Dan Stukes, who I know he's a walk-on and no one's really heard of him or knows who he is, but start doing a little digging and he's intriguing. I mean, he was like a high-level uh, long jumper and triple jumper in high school, like state championship level. So there's there's a base of athleticism there, at least. Um, and he he's another guy who had a really good spring. Uh, played with a club on his hand for about half of spring and was still breaking up passes even even with that um, with that big wrap on his hand. So uh, those are a couple of things that I would point out. Yeah, because you watched them and you mentioned a lot of this was to try to get positive attention because it helps recruiting because they need more talent. And from that game, it's like, okay, outside of the quarterbacks, which they're basically all new, it's probably, I guess Will Plummer was around last season, but I think Gunnar Cruz is the favorite right now. Jordan McLeod maybe becomes the favorite when he steps on campus. But aside from that position, the talent level doesn't seem to have increased so much from what we had or what we saw from Arizona last year. But the question then becomes, is this coaching staff the type that can bring out better play from these guys? Because there is decent talent. We thought guys like Paris Shan, for instance, you know, is a very intriguing guy along the defensive line. Can this coaching staff get the most out of them? When you watch this team now after all of spring practice, and we can forget about the game itself because obviously we've talked about the game was kind of football was secondary Saturday, but does this team look better talent-wise than maybe people are giving them credit for? I would say slightly. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have added some players through the portal who are going to make an impact. Um, I think both of those linebackers from the MAC who aren't here yet, um, Sean Hayward and Jerry Roberts, I, I would expect both of those guys to be starters for them alongside Anthony Pandy uh, in, in a revamped and deeper linebacking core. Um, we didn't see Gunnar Maldonado because he got banged up about halfway through spring, uh, but I think he could definitely push for one of the starting safety spots. Um, once he gets healthy, they changed the quarterback room pretty significantly with, with Gunnar Cruz coming in and Jordan McLeod coming in. Drake Anderson, I don't know if he played in the spring game. I don't think he did. He looked great, though, earlier in spring, um, and I think he's going to be a pretty dynamic uh, running back for them. Um, you know, it's still more or less the same roster that they had last year, um, which is worrisome, I guess, because they weren't very good. Um, but you would hope that, you know, having systems that are so different from the norm will maybe give them something of an advantage. Um, and Don Brown's defense is ultra aggressive. You know, I mean, they are going to, they'll rack up more tackles for losses this year, I guarantee you, than they've had in like a decade. They might still give up like 35 points a game, but they're going to create negative plays. Uh, the offense is, it's like the Rams offense, basically. I mean, they're under center a lot. There's a lot of jet sweep type action. There's multiple tight ends. There's tight splits. There's play action. There's bootlegs. It's not something that you see every week in college. So I think that's going to be an adjustment for um, for opponents. Um, so I think, you know, from a schematic standpoint, uh, they might be a little ahead of the game, and that might make the talent look a little bit better uh, than it did a year ago. If that makes sense. To follow to follow up on that, even from a comparing to a year ago, how? 
would you consider the impact of guys that opted out last year for various reasons, uh, you know, due to the, the, that being available to them due to COVID? Uh, you know, Arizona's a team that has never uh, been mistaken for a team with a lot of depth in any position, but that, I would contend that that probably exposes them to more of that, that opt-out pain uh, or more impact on the field. How do you see that with some of those guys that opted out that are coming back? I'm thinking specifically of, like, Christian Young, J.B. Brown, Edgar Barola, Bam Smith, um, Bam Smith. Like, it's those guys were technically on the roster, but they, but they also kind of, kind of weren't, right? Yeah, I think it's especially helpful on defense. Uh, Mackenzie Barnes, Malik Hausman, Christian Young, J.B. Brown. Um, you know, I think those are all potentially uh, starters or rotation players or key special teamers. Um, and I mean, it was really bad as you guys know, at the end of the season, when all those defensive backs had opted out and then they started to get some injuries. I mean, they had guys on the field in that ASU game that you just sort of like, who is that? You know, even, even for those of us who follow the program really closely, you're like, who in the world is on the field right now for them? And you certainly hope that you're never in that situation again. uh, I thought JB Brown was if he wasn't the best defensive player in spring practice, he was certainly like in the top three or four. Um, so that's a really good sign. Christian Young, perfect fit in that Viper position, the hybrid safety linebacker. It's just the ideal role for him. So I think you know that could be a really good um, situation there. I mentioned Malik Hausman earlier. Really kind of came on in spring and showed them something. Edgar Barola gives them another option on the offensive line uh, where, you know, it was you know, probably the worst unit on the team last year. It caused a lot of problems, <laughs> a lot of breakdowns offensively, I think could be tied directly to that. So you know, I would consider him probably the third tackle right now. He could play on either side. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 an, a little bit of an infusion of talent. Uh that's sort of like it's not the portal, it's not recruits, um, it's it's guys who, like you said, were on the roster last year, but they really weren't, and and getting those guys back, I think, is is pretty vital. And to to kind of complete you know complete this out a little bit, what about some of the guys that are not yet on campus that are coming? I'm thinking specifically of some of the transfers, like the linebackers from the MAC conference. That I got to imagine those guys are going to have significant roles. I think it's Treshawn Howard, and I'm blanking on the. Um, yeah, Treshawn Hayward and Jerry Roberts. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, there's good, and you know, Adam mentioned Jordan McLeod. There's, there's some, there's some guys that are, those those three, but maybe even some of the incoming freshman class may compete for for time, right? Especially at certain positions. I'm thinking maybe like Mojo Weirts, the linebacker with a lack of depth, might be somebody that comes in and plays. Can you speak to that a little bit and kind of what your expectation is for guys that are not yet here for the spring game, but that will be here in the fall? Yeah, the, the two linebackers from the MAC, I think, are going to be plug-and-play type guys. Both have a lot of experience. Um, Treshawn Hayward is especially accomplished. He was the you know, conference defensive player of the year uh, in 2019. Um, Don Brown handpicked mo- both of these guys. So he obviously knew exactly what he wanted. Um, and he'll be able to just slot them in, I think, at the middle linebacker and Sam linebacker um, positions for Hayward and Roberts, respectively. Jordan McLeod is going to come in and immediately compete for the starting quarterback job. 
Will he be better than the guys who are here? I don't know, but it gives them another option and someone who has uh, a lot of college experience. And you figure out of, the, how many, I wonder how many, I don't know how exactly how many freshmen are still coming in, maybe 15, somewhere in that range. You figure maybe a third of those guys will be able to contribute right away. Um, you've got some, um, some safeties, some Viper types, linebackers, um, mostly on the defensive side of the ball. And that's where they need depth. You know, that is like, if you look at, you know, where, like, where do you feel good about the depth and where are you worried about the depth? It's like, you feel pretty good depth wise on offense. Like they have a ton of good running backs. They have a lot of offensive linemen. I don't know how many of them are good, but they do have a lot of scholarship offensive linemen. Um, decent number of receivers, plenty of tight ends now, three options at quarterback. You start going to the other side of the ball and you're like, okay, you know, if Jalen Harris were to go down, like who steps in um, as that you know, pass rushing defensive end? If either of Christian Roland Wallace or um, Isaiah Rutherford were to go down, like who's the next cornerback who steps up? Is Malik Hausman capable of playing out there? Or is he really, should he really be inside? And they, you need to find somebody else to play on the outside. You know, maybe a freshman like Jaquelin Morgan can come in and, and be an instant impact player for them at that position. So um, you're, not, you're not counting on the freshman to be hugely impactful right away, but you're hopeful that a handful of them will at least be adequate at the beginning to provide depth in practice as well as in games. Now we're talking to Michael Love, the Arizona Daily Star. One more football question for you, and I'm sure this spring ball was different than any of the last handful of years. I mean, obviously last season it was maybe a week of spring practice before everything got shut down, but Jed Fish had everything open, right? And he was they had a lot of more media accessibility, player availability, assistant coach availability. And I know how that can kind of impact opinions of the program, but it allowed you to get a better look at what he was doing. And just your impressions for an entire – like not – about the team after spring ball for just Jed fish and how he's running things. Uh, Cause he's never been a head coach at the college level before. Or really, I guess the pro level either. He took this job as a career assistant. This was his first camp. How would you grade him? Uh, yeah, I think he did. He's pushed every right button so yeah. far um, as the leader of this program. Um, he has created a buzz around a team that had none. He has generated positive publicity for the program. Um, he's brought in more talent. He's put together an impressive coaching staff. Uh, the practices themselves, I thought, were well run. They were organized. There wasn't a lot of yelling. There wasn't a lot of cursing. I mean, Don Brown and Keith Dzinski were probably the loudest, most vocal but a lot of times, you know, you just hear Don Brown go like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? You so know, Don but Brown it, it wasn't like, then, yeah, right. I mean, there, we, but there wasn't like, they weren't, we were they weren't like Brown. dressing guys down. You didn't see like coaches getting in players' faces, you know, MFing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so um, it, it seemed to be, it felt very professional to me. Um, and uh, I like, I'm obviously, from a selfish standpoint, love the fact that the practices were open. I feel like I have a much better base of knowledge about the personnel. Um, I think it's a great olive branch uh, to, to put out there if you're a new head coach. 
I mean, like, why not get off on the right foot with the media, you know? And when things go badly during the season, which they probably will, you might, you know, the media might go a little easier on you or off the bat, give you a little bit more, uh, maybe extend that honeymoon period out a little bit. Um, so I think um, it's, it's a great strategy on his part to really open things up like that. It's great to hear, you know, because it is going to be probably a struggle because the talent, even if it is slightly improved, it's just not, it doesn't appear to be there to compete at a high level, especially, you know, not to win a Pac-12 South, make a run, none of that stuff right now. They just need to be competitive. And I think having the media, not necessarily on the side, but like when you see what's happening, you could, like you just said, the practices are professional, you know, and it sounds like guys are buying in. So you understand like, hey, you know what? It just takes time to get this thing going in the right direction. Like the coaching is there. The style is there. They just need the talent. And the talent is going to take a few recruiting cycles to get there, I think. And also Fish shows you there's nothing to hide, right? <laughs> like He has no problem with everybody seeing what he's doing. Fans meet it because he trusts he's confident in what his, him and his staff are up to. That's right. Um, it's a stark contrast to the previous regime. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I tried and tried to get information about like what's the practice schedule like how, how are things going to work and i just you know i just kept it was getting nothing like i'm just not i'm getting not getting any feedback here i don't i don't know what's going to happen we get kevin someone the first day and then we're told that's going to be it until this until the end of spring practice there's going to be not no other media availability whatsoever let alone practices being open and that was year one so that was right off the bat. Yes, <laughs> that's right off the bat. You're just shutting everything down. Um, and so needless to say, you know, we at the Daily Star you know, went to work uh, behind the scenes to try to, you know, make some sort of arrangement. And they relented and they, they gave us an assistant coach after each practice. And I think a player, I think it was a player and an assistant coach. Um, or maybe it was just an assistant coach. I don't know. But it was something. Uh, but it wasn't what this was, you know, um, they had, this is a great detail. They had the names of the players on the backs of their practice jerseys. I have never seen that before anywhere. And it speaks to that whole idea of like, it's personal, you know, these aren't, it's not just a number, it's a person. Um, and I think I, Jed Fish, I swear, I think he knew the name of everybody on the team. And I'm not totally sure you could say that about either of the previous two head coaches, at least when it came to like defensive personnel, because they were both like Jed, they were both offensive coaches. Um, but I, I saw some of the interactions that he had with the players. And again, that's what access gives you. If you kind of know how to use it, you observe what goes on and you can pick up tendencies uh, about people. So that, that's, that was the value for me. Yeah. Makes you I, want that fish to succeed. It sounds like. <laughs> Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here, I'd bet Rich Rodriguez deliberately called defensive players by the wrong name during his tenure in practice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Rich is just a different, totally different kind of guy. Um, I mean, very successful. I mean, I think we've talked about this before on your show. Um, you can't knock the results that Rich got here. I mean, five bowl games in six years. If Jed Fish were to do that, I mean... <laughs> It would be considered a great accomplishment, right? Um, definitely like to see more NFL uh, draft picks than we saw during the Rich Rod era as well as the Sumlin era. And that's probably another topic uh, for another time. Um, but very different style of coach 
needless to say, uh, with Rich compared to Jed. Definitely. Now, you don't just cover Arizona football. You also do cover baseball. And Jay Johnson's program, we know they're in first place in the Pac-12, coming off a sweep of USC where kind of ended that streak of, what, losing on the first game and then coming back and winning the series. Just that's a program that seems to be peaking at a very good time. I think I saw their projected, what, the number four overall seed right now. Like, they are kind of looking like the team that they were supposed to be last season if they had a full season. And even, I guess, the season before when they finished on that great tear and were just left out of the postseason, and a lot of people thought they should have been in. Like, this looks like a team that is fairly complete from our perspective. What have you been seeing from them? Yeah, Jay today said that he thought last year's team was an Omaha-worthy team. Um, it, it was different. They had, remember, they had um, Austin Wells and Matthew Dyer last year. Those, you know, Austin Wells was a first-round pick. I think Matthew Dyer went in the fourth round. Uh, to uh, to the Mets. Um, I mean, that would have been a really devastating offensive club. They didn't have as many pitching options as they have now. And that's the biggest difference. Um, it's kind of like um, when Rich Rodriguez is your coach, you know your offense is going to be able to run the ball, right? Uh, when Jay Johnson's your coach, you know that they're going to score runs pretty much no matter what, right? They've got a system, a formula, they're always producing uh, on that side of it. They have not had the pitching depth and talent that they have now. Um, no one's got, like, no starter has incredibly jaw-dropping numbers, um, but they have guys who have great stuff. Um, they have a multitude of options they can bring out of the bullpen, both lefties and righties. Um, and they've been able to kind of piece that together with different guys emerging um, in different situations. And, you know, that's that's what helps you go on a postseason run. You know, because eventually you're going to run into a really good pitcher or a really good pitching staff who's going to slow down your offense. And you need to be able to match that with your own pitching. And it looks like they might finally have that. Yeah, Michael, I'm curious to hear, is, is you're kind of a – you know, an insider is the beat reporter on the baseball program. College baseball is uh, is a thing as much as fans like me would like to follow more. It's sometimes it's hard to do unless you're on campus going to the games or you can find some some way to actually watch a few games on Pac-12 Network because you don't have DirecTV. Um, you know, f as we're approaching the the postseason, you know, you know, I think that's when a lot of fans start to, to pay more attention, especially as you get into the postseason play where it goes on national TV. For, for our Arizona Wildcat fans that are listening, they're going to be watching some of these games, hopefully, as they come up. Who are some of the players that they should be uh, keeping an eye out for and, and you know get to know their roster a little bit more than they maybe haven't heard so far? Well, all right, let's start with uh, they have two really good freshmen who are 1-2 for freshman of the year in the, in the Pac-12. Uh, could even be player of the year. Jacob Berry is a switch-hitting uh, DH third baseman who's hitting almost 400. That's 11 home runs already, which is a lot um, for having, I think they've played 38 games and you played most of those in the biggest ballpark in America. Um, really uh, advanced uh, hitter. Um, and then Daniel Susak, uh, who's the starting catcher, who's excellent defensively, like no one even tries to run on Arizona. And he's also, he's got, I think, nine home runs and his hitting about 333. So really good one-two punch out of those freshmen. Um, some veterans that fans probably already are familiar with, like Dante Williams in center field, 
uh, Jacob Blass at shortstop, Ryan Holgate and right field, guys who've been around uh, for a few years now, Brandon Bossier um, at first base. Um, it's a really good, deep lineup, and most of the guys do the things that Jay Johnson wants them to do, which is manage the strike zone, you know? Don't swing at bad pitches, draw walks, wear out uh, opposing pitchers. Um, so those are some of the kind of key offensive guys. I should probably throw Kobe Cotto um, in there too, um, who's someone who's been on the team, is finally starting now, and he's been exactly what they hoped he would be, which is just basically a pest um, at the plate uh, who gets on base a ton. Uh, on the pitching side of things, Chase Silseth uh, is a transfer from College of Southern Nevada who um, started his college career at Tennessee. He's their number one starter. Great kid. Uh, we got to talk to him today. For this is the first time we got to talk to him, which wasn't after a game. Let's talk about his background and stuff. He just really is very level-headed, thoughtful, super competitive. Um, Garrett Irvin, crafty lefty, um, is the second starter, um, someone that Jay has a lot of trust in. And then the key guys kind of in the back of the bullpen, are Vince Vanelli and Preston Price. They both came back this year, taking advantage of the super senior option. Uh, Preston Price, he's a little banged up right now, um, developed a sore arm. They're being very careful with him because he's awesome. Like he has a crazy spin rate on his slider. It's just a devastating pitch. He's got 32 strikeouts and 17 plus innings. Um, he's stranded, I think it's 16 of 19 inherited base runners. Nice. He's come in multiple times. He's come in this year with the bases loaded and gotten out of it. Um, and then Vince Vanelli, who leads a team in saves, uh, is coming off a, a, a performance where he pitched two and, thir- uh, two and a third perfect innings. Uh, it was his best outing of the year. So they've got the, those guys on the front end of the staff and the back end. And then they've been able, like I said, to, to piece together those middle innings with a lot of different options. Um, young guys with with a lot of talent and big arms. I can tell you like talking about the baseball team too. <laughs> but, <laughs> I do love talking about baseball. I really do. It's baseball. Who doesn't love baseball? I know it's, when Jay Johnson arrived, his first season, 2016, they make the College World Series. They arguably got hosed in Game Three, where they could have won the College World Series if you know they've got the call right at home plate. But whatever. They've been very good under him since then. Of course, they got Nate Yeski last year to kind of improve that pitching because, like, the offense has always been there, like you said. Like, scoring runs has never been the problem for Jay Johnson's teams. It's pitching that has been, of course, when they had it back in 2016. They nearly won a championship. But they bring Nate Yeski in, who's supposed to help the pitching staff, and he has. Jay Johnson now 2021. I don't imagine there's not a lot of people saying they need to replace this guy. But how much was there any pressure on him this year, maybe even self-imposed pressure by Jay to be like, I need to get this done, get us back into the postseason and get us back into contending for a championship because of just so when you do it year one, it's like that becomes an expectation, unreasonable as it may be. Um, I think that it might exist, but he would never acknowledge it because yeah. he's very much about like the day to day preparation, you know, like the play speaks for itself to worry about the next opponent. He's like, we don't think about those things. But I'm sure it's somewhere in the back of his mind. It's the goal of every single college baseball coach, every single college baseball player to get back to Omaha. Um, remember, they didn't make the postseason in 2018 or 19. Right. You know, they were the first four out um, both of those years. Um, good teams, just not good enough teams. Um, so you know, it is a pretty big deal to get back in. And the great thing about this year, the way things are shaping up, is it seems uh, 
inevitable at this point that they're going to play at home, at least in the first round. And, and that's a huge advantage on multiple levels. Number one, the weather. I mean, teams are going to come here. They're just going to, you know, they're going to wilt. And in the, it's going to be, what, mid or uh, early June in Tucson. You guys know what that's like. Um, that's number one. Number two, the ballpark is weird. I mean, it's, you know, it's like 366 feet down the left field line and 410 feet to left center and 405 feet to right center. Like, you know, balls that you hit that are home runs elsewhere are outs here. So that's a big adjustment. And then um, number three, the NCAA said that you can have up to 50% capacity for the baseball and softball postseasons. I assume the state of Arizona or the city of Tucson is going to sign off on that, which means they could have in the neighborhood of like 4,700 fans out there. Um, so definite home field advantage for them would really put them in a good position to, to reach the super regional round. Nothing. Nothing wrong with any of that. I know we're excited. And like Brett said, there's a lot of people who will start watching a lot more once the postseason happens. Michael, uh, we don't have any more questions for you. We appreciate the time today on Wildcat Radio <laughs> 2.0. You know, people can follow you at Michael J. Lev on Twitter. Is there anything you want to plug before we let you go? Um, let me think. Well, I did a Q&A with Tony Fields um, oh. that's coming out, I think, uh, Thursday uh, to run in Friday's paper. Uh, former Arizona Wildcat linebacker who spent last year at um, West Virginia. Uh, I'm also going to do a uh, kind of a three lingering questions about spring football next week. Kind of dive back into that uh, a little bit as we hit that kind of the true off season uh, for football. Uh, but mostly it's going to be about baseball here for the next you know month, six weeks, or however long it goes. Back in 2016, I had no idea how long it was going to go, and it ended up going all the way to till July 1st, which was insane to, to the very last batter um, to decide the, the college baseball championship. So hopefully, you know, there will be another fun ride in store for all of us. Yeah, well, we can all root for that. Michael Lev, thanks for joining us, and we'll make sure we'll we'll catch you up with you down the road sometime. Hopefully, in maybe late June, talking about another College World Series run for the Arizona Wildcats. Does that work for everybody? Works for me. Great, great. So that's Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. When we come back from this break, Arizona Golf is bringing home a trophy. Let's talk about that and other news and notes from Arizona Wildcat Sports. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Once again, thanks to Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. Great stuff on a football program that has optimism for the first time in a long time and a baseball program that seems poised for a deep postseason run for the first time in a few years as well. Brett, before we go, there is a Pac-12 championship that's coming to Tucson. Arizona men's golf, actually, and they did it by beating ASU. <laughs> so that's just, I think, when we talk about, and this is, I mean, congratulations to them, by the way. When we talk about the rivalry with Arizona and ASU, yeah, it's funny when ASU is terrible and Arizona is really good. But sometimes the best, the chef's kiss is when they're both good and Arizona beats ASU to win a championship. Maybe 2014 in football when it was the Pac-12 South, you know? Like, that almost feels just a little bit sweeter. And Arizona men's golf did it. Senior Brad Reeves won the tournament's individual event. Um, I mean, congrats to them. That's that's awesome. Yeah, hey. <laughs> I've, I've always say that I don't root against ASU. In fact, I want them to do well because 
I've told people for decades that I would love for nothing better than Arizona and ASU to be the two best teams in the conference at every single thing, and then Arizona destroys them. Uh, and, you know, they, they came and won the, the Pac-12 uh, championship for men's golf. And not only that, Adam, I'm pretty sure that that, if you're looking at the broader Territorial Cup series, I think that clinched it it's for over. Arizona this year. It's over. The Take, real Territorial Cup goes counts, to Arizona. Counts just as much as the game that will not be mentioned, Adam. Uh, I mean, and, and what you could argue is it doesn't matter how much you lose a game by, you know, it's all whether you lose by one or 63, it counts the same in the Territorial Cup series, right? So, I mean, yeah, the, the Territorial Cup series goes to Arizona for uh, really the they, they've won the last couple, you know, won at 2021 and 2019, 2020, 2017, 2018. Nice little run here for the Wildcats. Golf sealed it. There's only uh, men's and women's track and field remaining. And I know Arizona's up 10.0 to 7.0. So this, we can do the math, even if ASU people can't. There's not enough competition left for the Sun Devils to catch them. So Arizona wins the Territorial Cup Series. Yay. That's that's the name of the episode, Adam. Arizona wins the Territorial Cup Series. Series. <laughs> <laughs> but even that speaks to it like and even like michael was talking about how football there's positivity right basketball like we talked before there's positivity even with the coaching change because a lot of good has been happening baseball is doing well softball seems to have gotten things a little bit back on track after scuffling a little bit in tempe against ASU. i know their uh, weekend series has been shrunk a little bit because there's some COVID issues within the cal program but arizona athletics seem to be in a pretty good spot overall you know, when you're winning Pac-12 championships, when you're going to be one of the top seeds in the baseball postseason, when your softball team's one of the best in the country, I mean, that's that's usual. Like, that's not news. But when those things are happening, and football program, which hasn't won a game in a long time, but you still feel pretty good about it going into the summer, I, I think we'll all take that. Yeah, you know, sports are back. Arizona sports are back. COVID is hopefully ending. Optimism reigns supreme, man. I yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, the other things I have, and we talk, I mean, Kevin Doyle transferred from Arizona football. Nathan Tilford's transferring from Arizona football. They both entered the portal. Both guys who came in with some promise, Tilford especially, and just couldn't carve out their roles for various reasons. Wish them good luck. They weren't problems for the program or anything like that. You know, um, otherwise, yeah, we'll see. Because after spring football is when you start to see some guys transfer because they realize they're not going to get any reps, any playing time, and they're going to see what's out there. So, I don't know how many scholarships Arizona football has left, but I imagine they might be looking at some of that too to see what's out there, certain players that have entered the portal already following spring. So we'll see what happens. The other roster is probably going to change a little bit between now and when they take the field against BYU. And then, of course, we'll see what happens with basketball recruiting. There's still some guys out there that the Cats are in on. Tommy Lloyd's trying to get for the program. And if he does get them, like we talked about in the first segment, the team will be pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Hey, usually we make Simpsons references, not uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm references, Adam Green. I never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm, so that was a... Uh... Unintentional? Yes, very, very unintentional. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening this week. And thanks to Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star. We always appreciate him joining Wildcat Radio 2.0. Make sure you are following us on the Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ for all the content. There's not so many games going on, but there's always content coming from that account. You know, if you're listening to us, you probably found us on iTunes or Spotify or any other many podcast areas you can find, Wildcat Radio 2.0. 
make sure if you like us, leave us a review. Rate us and review us. We always appreciate that. But like we said, more is going to be happening with Arizona Athletics. It never seems to stop. And we'll talk about it all next week. Until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.